Morning. Morning. Pastor Rob, welcome to our 9 a.m. service. As Jason said on this first Sunday of March, we are in a series which we've been in for a few months in a uh, very important and significant portion of Scripture in the New Testament, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, in a series titled, The Life You've Always Wanted and Believed Somewhere is True. I think Jesus is in this passage, this famous passage, talking about the life that he has come to offer us. He uses the term the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is is a Bible way of talking really about God's authority. And God's authority at work in the world. God's authority at work in a church. God's authority at work in the human heart, in the human mind, right? This is what the... Sermon on the Mount is about, and as I've said before, and I wouldn't be alone, you might say the Sermon on the Mount, this block of teaching that's trying to tease out an understanding of what life as God has designed it to look like, not in heaven, but here on earth, right, as we walk this path, what life could look like um, under his power. In a manner of speaking, everything else in the New Testament is derivative, right? It's taking this amazing picture this vision, like the cover of the puzzle box kind of a thing, and everything else is saying, now let's talk about what it means, how to get there, how to tease it out. Because I would say this, becoming a Christian is, in some sense, a very easy thing to do. That is, it's a, it's a moment of trust and faith. And, and the gospel is for all people at all times and all backgrounds, and whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I affirm that. I think the Bible teaches that. And you and I need to preach that. The Christian life is free, uh, it's God's grace, but to, to, to receive God's forgiveness. But to live the Christian life is another story. The Christian life is a difficult thing. <laughs> and I would say, as I think the great G.K. Uh, Chesterton said, Christianity has not so much been tried and found lacking as it has found, been found difficult and left untried. You know, I think that's true for a lot of us. And the Sermon on the Mount is a challenge for us to give a little more thought and effort with God's help to achieve, to experience, better said, the life that God uh, is offering us. So there's two things is before we dive into Matthew 6. You have a Bible open up to Matthew 6. That I mentioned last week, but I'll say it again. He, he wants to outline this life, but he's going to say, listen, you know, not everyone's going to experience it at the same level. It's not a cookie-cutter kind of a thing. And even if you've received God's gift of faith, uh, Christ in your life, the Holy Spirit in your life, um, it's going to work itself out differently in every life. And there are two great hindrances that, to this life. There may be more than two, but there are two that are highlighted in the Sermon on the Mount. One of them we talked about last week, and let me restate it. It's this. One of the great things that stands in your way and my way in experiencing the life that God has offers us, that wants to offer you, is our over-desire to want to impress and live for other people's approval. I would say to you, and you most, most of us would probably agree, that you, you, know, you don't pick that up along the way. We wake up most mornings, consciously or unconsciously, whether you're 17 or you know, however old you might be, 27, 77, and we want to uh, find other people to approve us, to, to value us. And we tend to draw attention to ourselves as a way of life. And Jesus is saying, listen, it's just as true in the church as it is outside of the church, right? And be careful. 
that you don't practice your faith simply to score points with others or to score points with yourself or even to try to score points with God because if you do that, you have your reward, so to speak, but you don't have a changed life. So the first danger is the danger to want to live for other people's approval. The second one, which we'll talk about this morning, is to try to find our security, to find your security in money and what money can buy. See, those two things, which are part of everyday life, are at work, Jesus says, in the world, trying not to send you to hell, but to keep you from experiencing the life that God offers you. So let's look at Matthew chapter uh, uh, 6, verses 19 through 24 in a message titled, The Right Investment Strategy. The Right Investment Strategy. Verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If the body is if the eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Bible says an awful lot about money. Jesus teaches an awful lot about money. Jesus teaches more about money or about greed and things like that twice as much or far more than he teaches about big things like heaven and hell. Now, why does he do that? I don't think that God cares about money at all. I think I could say that from the scriptures that God doesn't care about money. He's created the world. It all belongs to him. But he cares about you and he cares about me, and he cares about people, and because we care so much about money, God talks about it because money is one of those things that holds the power, enough power, that it can take the place um, that is reserved for God in your life. And if money takes the place that is reserved for God in your life, it doesn't mean you're going to hell when you die but it means you're not going to experience the life that we're talking about, right? That's why Jesus talks so much about it. Now, verse 21 is, you know, maybe the most famous verse or one of a few in the entire Sermon on the Mount, which could make it one of the more well-known verses in all the Bible. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. But I would say to you that this verse, its, its quaintness and its beauty somewhat obscures Um, its meaning for us. You know, we kind of lose it in its beauty. And I would say to you, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, is not a spiritual truth at all. I think it's simply a, a human truth. It's, it's, it's like someone saying, starting an argument, say, let's begin with something. Let's all understand that, you know, uh, uh, people need food to live, or people need water to drink, or people need sleep. You know, it's one of these fundamental things. Jesus wants to start with this fundamental principle before he builds his argument. And what he wants to say is this, wherever you send your money, right, your heart 
will soon follow. That's what he's trying to say. He's just saying, listen, guys, let's agree. Think about your experience. That where your money is, right, watch the verbs, where your treasure is, where you, where you place your treasure today, your heart will follow tomorrow. That's all he's trying to say. Think about your own life, wherever stage of life you're in. Some of you are raising young children. And your, the, where your money goes is different than where it went before you had children. And now it's, you know, everything is connected to, you know, sports and school fees and, 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 and music lessons. And, and all of these things are okay. And, and, and everything seems to be for a season. All of your money is going there. And as a result of your treasure being there, your primary financial investment being there, well, those are the things you care about. And you're not even doing things that you used to do before. And you don't even, you know, the date nights are gone and the, and the, and the sports thing is gone. Or should be gone, I don't know. But anyway, the point is things are changed because where your treasure is now there your heart follows later. And this is true for many things. It's true for people that are focused on their career for a season. It's true for people that all of a sudden get involved in the stock market, right? Someone might have talked you into the stock market, and before that, you hardly even read that page in the newspaper. And now it becomes a dominant focus for you, right? Where your treasure is, Jesus is simply saying, where you place your most valuable assets, Right? Your heart is going to follow. That's all he's trying to say. Now, let me say something else. In our, we live in a consumer society. That is what I'm talking about, our, our, our economy, right? It's, it's based on a, a consumer a model. And that is to say this, that most of our, or many, many of our purchases, but this is sort of a way of life, right? They're based upon a, um, uh, an emotional appeal to meet a need. Right, And that our whole society, you know, you're, it's going to hit you 10 times before you go to bed today. We buy cars, we buy clothes, we go on vacations, we, do, we even pick schools. We do a lot of things that are based on an emotional response to a need. It's some, and some of them are very transactional. And it's not only true outside the church, it's true inside the church too, right? You don't only buy a car that way. You might decide before this service is over to support a missionary or to support some kind of mission. Because I've talked to you about it, I've shown you a video about it. I've tried to respond to your, emo- to, to your emotions, and you make a decision. I'm not knocking that. God uses that. Sometimes it's used for bad in our own life. We buy things that we don't need, but very often, uh, much of our culture is really, our whole economy in many ways is based on this idea, but Jesus is talking about something different here, okay? When he says, where your treasure is, Right? He's talking about significant investments. And when you talk about a significant when you talk about significant investments, whether it's money or your resources or even your own life or your time, when you're talking about significant investments, these are things that are ideally done carefully, not impulsively. You know, you don't get married impulsively. You don't have children impulsively. You don't buy a house impulsively. You don't, you know, choose a, 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 you know, a college necessarily impulsively. Something that's going to cost you a lot of money, right? Or it's going to, you know, uh, close a lot of other doors, right? Like marriage is an example. You don't make those impulsively. The most important investments in your life are not made in response to emotional warmth, right? But emotional courage, okay? It's different. And that's really what Jesus is talking about here. It's about taking a risk. So what he's really saying is, listen, where you choose to invest 
your treasure, in this case, he's talking partly about money, indicates not only where your heart is, right? You've you've made a decision, you're thinking about it, but where your heart is going, right? That's what he's trying to say. Sometimes we don't really appreciate that, but our life demonstrates that truth. And the other thing he's trying to say here is this, in this where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break through and steal. He's not saying don't have a mortgage. He's not saying certainly don't have a family. He's not saying don't have a boat. He's not saying don't have a second house. He's not saying any of those things. He's saying if those things become your ultimate treasure, I don't know, I can't, I wish there was a better word, but that, I mean, because that's not a word we use, but the thing that's most valuable to you, if that's what you're building your life upon, okay, think of that idea as a metaphor. If you're building your life on your house, if you're building your life on your career, if you're building your life on your accumulated wealth, listen, if you're building your life on your family, eventually you will be disappointed. Because every one of those things is a, is a finite resource, okay? Um, I heard this uh, um, interview with this woman, famous writer, uh, award-winning writer, and she wrote a book, and it was about a number of things, but she was, they were talking about the issue of divorce, and she said, you know, in, in um, the, the divorce rate for people who they call empty nesters, you know, those, the, the concept of people who've raised their children, in our country has actually gone up. And the, and the interviewer said, gee, that's so interesting. Why would the divorce rate... I mean, think about those of you in this room who are on your way there or you're there. You're married for 25 years. You've raised your kids. You put them through college. You add dating years in there. You got 30-plus years investment with this man, with this woman, right? Everything in your life, every picture, every story. I mean, there's no way you could repeat that, right? It's your whole life, and you decide after 30 years of being together, you're going to get a divorce. And she said, why is that? And there was more than one reason, but one of the big reasons, you know where I'm going, is this. You know? You've invested it in your kids. And from, the, from, you know, from being toddlers to, to preschool to school to, to all the way up to college and everything, and all of a sudden your kids that you love, and even if, they, even if they're great kids and they're not troubled kids and everything's gone well, the day comes where they meet some guy in college or they meet some girl in college and they say, we're moving to North Carolina. You know? It's nice knowing you. See you at Christmas, right? It, even, even those things leave your life. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to build your life on those things, you will be disappointed, right? Even if the economy doesn't get you or tragedy doesn't get you, it does get some of us in our, in our things that are most valuable, eventually time will rob you of everything you have, including every relationship you have, Okay? It's, that's, it's a reality. It's a reality. Jesus said this in, in one passage of Scripture. So discouraging as a preacher because I spend 20 hours studying and he does one verse and says everything that I would want to say, right? Uh, uh, Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a, hidden in a field. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, what we're talking about. See, listen, the life that you've always wanted and believed somewhere was true is hidden in a field. When a man found it, a woman found it, watch this, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went out and sold all that he had and bought that field. Okay? This flies in the face of a lot of some of our thinking. 
you know. This passage is not about, you know, anti-money. What it means to be a Christian is to live a simplistic lifestyle, to be Spartan, to be monk-like, to have a crappy house and a crappy car and, and give your money to the poor. I'm not knocking any of those things, but that's not what this passage is teaching at all. And what this guy does is this. This almost seems mercenary. He says, this guy, it's, a, it's talking about relative value. This guy is walking through some park in Penfield. And it belongs to the city of Penfield. And he's just walking along with his dog, and his dog, you know, kind of, you know, uh, uh, sniffs something, and they turn over a rock or two, and he finds in this field a great treasure, okay? He finds, I don't know, maybe it's gold, it's, it's diamonds, it's oil, whatever. He finds a great treasure. Now, what does he do? Well, we should go tell the, 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 the supervisor of Penfield, and they can make a lot of money. He says, I'm not doing that, <laughs> He says, I'm going to put a little dirt over that and threw rocks over that, and I'm going to go to the town of Penfield and say, hey, just wondering, that old lot, you know, you got to sell it? Not worth much, just a bunch of rocks in there, because I'd love to buy it. And then he says, with joy. Now watch this. It's a parable. With joy, he goes back to his other possessions, his house, his car, his whatever else, and with joy, he sells all of those things. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He sells them with joy. Why could he sell them with joy? Why can he get rid of these things that he's built his life on? In one fell swoop, the only reason he can do that, I don't want to do that. I don't want to uh, 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 you know, sell my house. I don't want to get rid of my car. I don't want to get rid of my, my wardrobe. I don't want to do that. I might do that, but I don't want to do that. But if I find something that's so much more valuable, and someone says, listen, if you can just come up with X thousands of dollars, you can have that, I'm going to do that. See, that's what Jesus is saying. This is not a, this is not a sermon about you know, being stingy. It's about, it's about making the right kind of investments. We stood as a church many, uh, a couple months ago. Some of you would remember this. Hopefully many of you would, but not all of you would. What are these rocks doing up here? We, before we opened this um, facility, which was part, as Jason said, of, of this you know, multi-year campaign to try to take the gospel further and deeper in our community, we, some of it had to do with capital campaign. We made some investments, but we, we did this series on the book of Joshua, and it was, a, it was an analogy Right? It was, it was a teaching moment for us as the people of God went through this long journey, right? Long, long journey, 40 years of, of struggle and difficulty, learning, growing up, right? Maturing as a community. Then they go into the promised land. It's, and it, it's been hundreds of years old promise, right? In the making, and it's finally coming to pass. And God says to this people, two million strong, listen, I want you to take these rocks from the riverbed of the Jordan, which represented this, you know, this important passage in from, into from one kind of life to a different quality of life. The promised land wasn't heaven. The promised land wasn't an easy street. The promised land was full of challenges, but it was time, it was grow up Christianity. He says, I want you to go in there, but I want you to have a memorial. And I want you to build a memorial, and I want you to, re and the memorial represents two things. One, it represents the, the great things that God has, past tense, done in your life, right? The, it's, it's all the things on this side of your life that God, what got me here? God's power manifest in my life in small and medium ways. I want to remember I didn't get here on my own. I want to remember that I am who I am by the grace of God, and I want to give him the glory. 
But he said, it also represents something else. It represents what God still yet wants to do in your life. The greatest things that ever happened in the history of Israel in a manner of speaking. The promise was on the other side of the Jordan. It wasn't a place to come and take it easy. It was a place to say, based on what God has done, what might God want to do? And I would say to, to some of you here, if you think that the best years of your life, I'm talking about your Christian faith, are over, then you have not grasped this message that we're talking about here. And if we as a church think that our best years of making a true impact in this community are over, then we, don't, we have not really believed this message, right? That's what Jesus is talking about. If you, it, it's a question of where we're going to put our, our investments, right? Are we going to trust God like this guy and say, listen, if we're, gonna, if we're willing to put our greatest treasure, right? So we're talking about our heart, right? Listen, have a house, have a family, but don't put your heart there, right? It's that great quote, Thomas Merton. He said, you know, uh, many people have been climbing the ladder of success uh, their whole life only to realize when they get to the top, it's leaning against the wrong wall, right? And I think that's true of a lot of people. And Jesus is saying, don't make that mistake. Don't make that mistake. And make your greatest investment What does it mean in heaven? It doesn't mean in the place beyond the stars. It means in the things of God. Because those are the only things that are not going to pass through your hands onto somebody else. Every other investment you have, your kids, your house, it's going to pass through your hands into somebody else. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, wherever you send your money, your heart will soon follow. Second thing he's going to say quickly, materialism destroys the spiritual life. Let me give you this point very quickly, but it's this, this, this middle um, metaphor. The eye is the light of the body. What is he saying? He's talking about the heart. Okay? That's what he's talking about. When he says, but if your, body, your eyes are unhealthy, your body will be full of darkness. And if, watch this, if the light in you is darkness, it's kind of an oxymoron, right? He's very making a point. If the light within you is darkness, How great is that darkness? He's talking about spiritual blindness. And what he's saying is this. It's really all about your heart. How the state of your heart will determine how you actually see and experience the world. That's why two people can be talking about the same thing, looking at the same thing, and have a very different point of view. He's saying, listen, if your heart is restless... If your heart is anxious, you're going to see the world one way. If your heart is at peace, you're going to see the world a different way. If you're hungry, spiritually, emotionally, physically, you're going to see the world as a place to get fed. If you're lonely, you're going to see the world as a place to meet your emotional needs. If you're empty, spiritually, emotionally, you're going to look into the world. Same thing I see, but as a place to meet your needs, not as a place to meet needs. That's what he's trying to say. And if you and I, if Jesus Christ, in a manner of speaking, your relationship with God, if he is not your truest treasure, if he is not more important than your lovely family, more important than your career, if he's not the ladder you're really climbing, he's saying, listen, you are not going to see the world the way that you need to see it. You're going to see the world not as a place from the little homeless guy to something much more significant. You're not going to see the world as a place where you can contribute, where you can give, where you can make a difference. You're going to see the world as a place that you can get. 
right? If your eyes are healthy, it's the same word, by the way, in Greek, it's the word generous. If your eyes are healthy, your body's full of light. You have an inner light that allows you to see the world the way it is. But if your eyes are unhealthy, right? If your eyes are ungenerous and and you're restless and you're anxious and the world is a place to go feed your needs, you will be not able to see the world. You'll not be able to experience. You're not, you're not only not going to see the world as it really is, you're not, you're, you're not only going to be blind to the world's needs, you're going to be blind to satisfying your own needs. Because here's the thing about, you know, where wrath, moth, excuse me, and, and vermin destroy, saying, listen, the reason we put so much stock in money and what money can buy is why do we do that? Because we assume it's our security. But the, what he's saying is, listen, there's a great irony at the end of this because, the, the, because of decay, because, of, um, because people steal things, because things get old, because your kids move on and go, leave your life, because we all die, the thing that you hope is going to give you security actually is going to bring its very opposite, which is anxiety. Talk about it next week. And he's saying, I want to save you from a life that actually is going to end very disappointingly. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In materialism, which is not a knock about having things, it's not about having money or spending money, but it's about saying that what money and money can buy is your true treasure. If that's true for you, if that's true of me, you will, you will never experience the life that God has designed for you. You'll not see the world for the way that it really is and that you and I can meet the world's needs, and you will end up a very unsatisfied person at the end whose light is actually darkness. That's what Jesus is warning about. Last point, and this is the takeaway in a sense. You cannot serve God in money. Those are Jesus' words. But you can serve God with your money, right? You cannot serve God. He's saying, listen, if your true treasure is in things, even in relationships, they will not last. But there is an investment that you can make in something that will outlast you. It's really the things of God, right? When he says, you know, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, this is perhaps another sermon, he's not talking about the place that's, you know, north of the stars, right? Heaven, uh, you know, I'll probably get an email, but heaven is not a place, okay? <laughs> heaven is not a place. If heaven's the place where God is, then this Bible's full of contradictions because I see God The Holy Spirit's in me, he's in you, he's all over the place, right? Heaven is not a place that you go to in the hereafter. Heaven is a a dimension of reality where God is. And the kingdom of God is bringing that dimension of reality. Uh, 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 Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's living the life that God always intended you to live. And he's saying one of the things that's going to rob you of it and rob me of it is money and what money can buy becoming our security. Saying, listen, you cannot serve God and money. That serve. He doesn't say you can't have money and spend money and enjoy money and be a Christian. He's saying you cannot serve, it's your heart, God and money and what money can buy. That's an impossibility. But you can serve God with your money by investing your money in the things of God. That's what he's talking about. 
investing your money in the things. That's what this is about. Let me say something quickly as your pastor. You know, you would hope and assume that I, you know, love this church and care about this church and find joy in this church and even invest in this church, and I do, um, and have for the 13 years I've been the pastor. But I, like many of you, okay, not all of you, but many of you, hundreds of you, made an investment in this thing called the REACH Initiative. For me, anyway, in my, in my world, it was a lot of money, okay? It was, it was a commitment. It was one of these, <clears throat> you know, not emotional appeals, but, you know, emotional courage. But I will tell you this. Even though I loved my church before two years ago, in some ways, I love it more. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We had this parent TED, am I saying the word right? Uh, it, just a small example, a parenting event. There was, it was standing room only. It brought me greater joy. We had to, you know, we're doing it again this spring, Double Dog Dare, 32 kids, high school kids from this community came, and some of them made, made Christ their savior. That is twice as much. I had twice as much joy than it had for me before. Two women in the last two weeks, just friends of mine that I know I've talked to in this church, told me in, in indirect conversations, we're talking about something else, and they both told me, it was interesting, after the second one, they said they were both doing um, Bible studies with women in their community, mixed group, even some, you know, atheists, Jews, non-Christian folks, you know, just, just people in their community. They were doing Bible studies with women in their community, and they were just telling me about it. I mean, I wanted to come out of my chair, right? The joy that that gives me, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. People say to me all the time, sometimes, you know, Rob, not a bad sermon, you know, I like this or that or don't like this or that, but my heart is not in the things of God. Well... According to this passage, I mean, hopefully the sermons are okay and the music's okay, but it's not really about those. You're, 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 you're not invested, right? Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Are you invested? Am I invested, right? The things that you are, where your real investment is, yes, it's your time. Yes, it's your talent. Are you serving? And yes, it's your money. See, when those things are in, then your heart will follow. Let me close just with this illustration. Jonah, the book of Jonah. Uh, it's an amazing story. It's, it's a sermon series in and of itself, but it's a story of a guy, a prophet, who is not very interested in doing what God wanted him to do. And God says, I want you to reach this city. Jonah says, great, I'm a prophet. I want to reach the city. What, what city is it? Is it this, that, or the other one? No, it's Nineveh. And Nineveh was a city full of people. It was very well known. You might say it was a cosmopolitan, you know, New York City-ish-like place. But it was full of people who were greedy, who were self-centered, who didn't want anything to do with God, who didn't go to church, and didn't care about it. And he says, I want you to go there. And Jonah says, that's the last place I want to go. I don't want to go there. Those people aren't worthy of your love, and I'm going to get on a boat and go the other direction. Okay, now, hopefully I'm not ruining the story for any of you, right? <laughs> but he does go, and he ends up reluctantly preaching the gospel. Shows you how amazing God is. Even reluctant preachers who leave a few points out, and God, the whole city, the whole city, this doesn't happen in the Bible much, um, all the way up to the, to the governor who makes a declaration, sackcloth and ashes, the whole city repents and they receive the gospel. Now, if I was a prophet, that was my business, like I'm a pastor, you'd think that was the greatest day. In, it's like the Super Bowl. Wow, 
I mean, even if you have 100 people came, you'd be excited. The entire city, in a week-long campaign, came to know, uh, the God, the, 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 accepted the message. And Jonah's all depressed about it. The book doesn't end on a good note. He's mad at God. And why is he mad at God? Because he goes, they didn't deserve it. Those self-centered, self-seeking, immoral, non-church-going uh, you know, people, they didn't deserve it, and you gave them something they didn't deserve, and I knew you would do that. <laughs> but here's the takeaway, of course. Jonah, you didn't deserve it either. And I don't deserve it, right? And when, you, when that message re gets a hold of your heart again, see, some of us have lost that. We've been in church so long, we, we, we think it's our right. We think it's our privilege. We think we belong here. You don't belong here. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I don't care who your parents are, what college you went to. means nothing. I am what I am by the grace of God. And until that message saturates your heart, until Jesus becomes your true treasure, the gospel and the word of God become your true, that's what you're building your life on. Yes, raise your kids. And yes, have your house. But don't make that what you're building your life on because it will destroy you in the end. But if you build it on him and he's meeting the deepest needs of your heart, then you can look out into a world that's full of need. You don't need to go out and get it. I don't need them to make you do what I want you to do to meet my needs, emotional, physical, whatever the case may be, because my deepest need has been met. And now my eyes are healthy and I can see the world for what it is. Look at the last verse of Jonah. Sad. This is the last verse, Jonah chapter 4, verse 11. God, he's so patient with us. He could, have, he could have blasted Jonah to kingdom come for his bad attitude, right? What does he say? Jonah says, you shouldn't have done this, and I'm mad. God says, reasons with him. Should not I have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people, a big city in this day, who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals that God just... Playing, showing his compassion. Listen, Jonah, don't you understand the reason I'm in love with the people in this city? You know, sometimes we, we expect non-Christians to have non-Christian values. Where do we come up with that? Right? Where do we come up with that? You expect the non-Christians that live in your, in your community to, to live the... That's, that's called bad theology and, and it's, gonna, it's not going to help anybody. Right? He's saying, Jonah, these are the very people that I want to reach. And they are today like you were yesterday, right? And what I'm saying to you guys is, listen, God's done a lot of great things in the life of this church. It really is. If, if, we, if we close the doors today, I think we'd get a mention in the, in, the, in the book of heaven. I mean, the church has done good things, but its best days are ahead of it. But it's not, it's not just because of the, the, the clock says so. It requires investment, Right? It requires investment, just like it does in the individual life. It does in a church. I had dinner with some friends this week, and we were talking about the REACH initiative. It just came up. That wasn't the point. It was just dinner with a couple that I know. And they just so, and I hadn't, I hadn't, hadn't had dinner at their house before, and they said, listen, um, we, we, um, we just wanted to, we want to let you know that we, when that all started, we were a little skeptical. And I said, why? And they said, well, we actually believed that if you did it, you know, they will come. They kind of, you know, well, we believed in what you were saying that the church could grow. That wasn't our concern. What we were concerned was, could the church sustain the growth? 
What is it going to have the spiritual depth and breadth to grow in, in, in you know, students and kids and, 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 to, and, to, and to educate and um, uh, a mature uh, people that don't? That's what we're worried about. And I said, you know what? That's absolutely the right question, right? That's, that, that's where we are. It's not a question of can God do it. It's are we interested in making the investment, right? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I'm telling you right now, if we want to see God do amazing things in the life of this church, that is already what he wants, and in my life and in your life, but it doesn't happen automatically. You got to be willing to give your time. That's a commitment. Where your time is, there your heart will be also. You need to give your talent. We need people to serve in our student ministry. We need people to serve in kids' ministry. We need people to serve throughout this ministry. And you need to be starting to share your faith. But you also need to give your money. Okay? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let me say this. Mike, let me give you my 60-second money speech. Okay? Ready? Don't, don't, don't turn your phones on. You know, whatever. Uh, Browncroft is, a, is what some would call an evangelical church. Okay, and that's a good bad word for some, but it just means it's a, you know, let's say it's a, uh, not every church is really, let's say, Bible believing and, 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 and really takes the scriptures uh, uh, at face value and tries to respond to them in an honest way. Preach the word of God whether you like it or not, kind of a thing, and obey it whether you like it or not. And those churches actually are the only, are the only Christian church, if you read um, studies, of all the Christian brands of Christianity. The evangelical churches are the only ones that are actually growing, okay? A lot of the other churches, beautiful buildings, more mainline, they're, they got good endowments, but there's not very many people in them, okay? That tells you something. But here's the thing. Even about evangelical churches, which also give more money than, than let's say, some mainline churches, generally speaking, statistically speaking, the, the average, the national average in America is this, that about 40% of the people they're in a church like this one, don't give a dime, right? And that's a conservative estimate. Some would go much lower, but that at least 40% of the people come and are involved in the life of the church. And I'm assuming if you don't give your money, you probably don't give your time either. But they don't actually give it all. What I'm saying to you is this. This isn't a shaming message. This is a message that says, listen, what could it be, right, if we all took a step in, Right? It's not an emotional appeal. I don't want you to run home today, um, although the directions are in the bulletin, but I don't want you to run home today. Uh, uh, but I want you to think about a, not an emotional commitment to raise money for a missionary or a, a national disaster, but to be a, a real committed player in this ministry. Okay? Right now, 47% of our congregation this is just in the last few years, but 47% of those who do give, give online. And that is so awesome and amazing because I do it. I've been doing it for as long as we've been doing it. Not because it's hip and it's, it's interesting, but because I never have to miss, a, miss one. Okay? In other words, it helps us. right? I, I give the same thing every two weeks kind of a thing. and it's, it's, We'd love to, if, if you want to do that, we'd love to have you. That, that's how you become a long-term partner, as that's what I'm saying. But my, my hope is, right, that we'll be a church that's increased commitment, right? That's one way to commit. Because if our hearts are in it, right, if Christ becomes our treasure, God says there's nothing that you can't do, um, right? Amen?
All right, let's pray. We're going to share in the communion table together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the privilege to be a member of this church, to be a part of this community. And we just want to give you these minutes, Lord. We open our hearts to you. We open our, our minds to you. And we want to experience, Lord, more of your life in ours. And I pray for us as a church as well. We want to, we want to be um, the kind of ministry that you want us to be. We want to have our hearts more fully captured by your love and your purposes that we might serve your purposes more fully. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.